Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, October 27th, 2023. And I know a lot happened this week, and I want to lead off with uh, Joe Biden, the corrupt Joe Biden family, because I think we may have missed this with everything that went on this week. And I'll get on to the other important stuff that went on this week, but let's just focus on So let's go to this $200,000 check that James Biden, Joe's younger brother, gave to him. And James Biden, I think in 2017, 2018, started investing in healthcare companies. And one of those companies that he invested in was a company called AmeriCorps. And they were having financial problems, and he invested in them. And his pitch was, hey, I got my brother. My brother can help us. And so James Biden invested in them. And what does James Biden do? He uses his influence to take, I think it was a $600,000 loan from the company, which clearly is unethical, quite possibly illegal, and then turns around and gives Joe Biden $200,000 of that loan. Now, James Biden introduced AmeriCorps' founder to Joe Biden and helped land a bridge loan to AmeriCorps from a hedge fund. And then James Biden received the six-figure personal loan out of AmeriCorps' coffers while encouraging the firm to take on greater financial liabilities. And remember, after he received that loan, he gave $200,000 to Joe Biden. And on the check, we know that it says loan. So James Biden wrote out a check to Joe Biden, $200,000. And on the check, he just referred to loan. Well, was that a loan that Joe Biden made to James Biden? And if we did, let's see the documentation on it, because I'm sure the IRS would be interested in this transaction. What were the terms? What was the interest rate? What was the payback schedule? Or does it refer to the loan that AmeriCorps got from a hedge fund? And was this a way that James Biden paid Joe Biden for Joe's help in securing this loan to AmeriCorps from that hedge fund? So these leave a lot of unanswered questions. And we know that Joe Biden is a flat-out liar because all this time he said, ah, I never knew anything about my family's business transactions. Well, it appears here he's right in the middle of this transaction. His brother invests in a a company, AmeriCorps. His brother James throws his older brother Joe's name around. The Bidens help get AmeriCorps a loan from a hedge fund to keep them going. And then James Biden takes out a loan from that same company. For $600,000. And they give $200,000 of that to Joe Biden. But Joe knew nothing about his business, his family's business transactions. And did Joe declare this $200,000? Because if it wasn't a loan, he had to declare it. So it's just another example of this corrupt Biden family and this corrupt president we have. And I want to parlay this into our corrupt bureaucracy. And I want to go to an article in Zero Hedge. And let me just read some of it. It says here, in two bombshell reports from Just the News, we learned that not only was a prosecutor livid over the FBI's reluctance to pursue credible claims of corrupt Biden dealings in Ukraine, the agency had evidence from more than 40 informants spanning years of investigation, which the DOJ and the FBI sought to undermine. Senator Chuck Grassley revealed revealed in a Wednesday letter. Former Pittsburgh U.S. Attorney Scott Bradley revealed in the House Judiciary Committee 
that his team found enough credible evidence in its initial review of Hunter Biden's dealings with the Ukrainian energy company Burisma Holdings and possible corruption by Joe Biden to refer criminal matters to three separate U.S. attorney's offices in Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Delaware for further investigation. But almost immediately after he was assigned by the Justice Department in 2020 to review Biden family matters in Ukraine, Brady said he encountered resistance at both the FBI and the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office that at times required him to escalate to his bosses in the Deputy Attorney General's office. It was a challenging working relationship, Brady said of the agency in testimony earlier this week. I think there was reluctance on the part of the FBI to really do any tasking related to her assignment. In a Tuesday letter, Senator Chuck Grassley revealed that the FBI had more than 40 informants on the Biden family over an extended period of time, but that most avenues of the investigation were thwarted. Grassley wrote, This letter is based on years of investigation, including the provision of information records, and allegations from multiple Justice Department whistleblowers that indicate there is and has been an effort among certain Justice Department and FBI officials to improperly delay and stop full and complete investigative activity into the Biden family, including but not limited to FD-1023s referring to the Biden family. This alleged political infection breaks faith with the American people and will ruin our our governmental institutions should it continue. As just one example, Grassley continued, I've been made aware that at one point in time, the FBI maintained over 40 confidential human sources that provided criminal information relating to Joe Biden, James Biden, and Hunter Biden. Grassley says Americans need to know, did the FBI investigate the information or shut it down? So this is ongoing. Now, Grassley has a good track record of pulling information out of the FBI, and we need to know, what is going on with these 40 informants? You know, it's funny. It's taken a 90-year-old gossip columnist to sum up what Joe Biden is all about. And this, quite frankly, is the best summary of Joe Biden that I've heard. And this is from Cindy Adams. Cindy Adams is a 90-year-old gossip columnist. She has a column in the New York Post. I think she started out as an actress a long time ago. Has been on various game shows and morphed herself into a gossip columnist. Now, gossip columnists know people. And with that said, I wanted to go to a clip with Cindy Adams. And she sums up Joe Biden very well. In her New York way, she's very direct, very blunt. But let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. And I want to tell you, there is one thing I do not understand about Biden. And I want to mention that to you. The fact is, the man doesn't really care he only cared for two things in his life 
a long-time do-nothing in D.C., which is what he was, he only thirsted for the job. He desperately wanted to be president. And two, he cared for family. His, not yours. He got what he wanted, all he ever wanted. And as far as he's concerned, the rest of this whole effing world can basically go to hell. I'm telling you what I know, not what I think. And this is why Joe Biden was elevated to become the Democrat nominee in 2020. He's corrupt. And the deep state, the globalists, they need a corrupt president to continue their agenda. But he's being smoked out by the good people in this country. So we shall see. Okay, let's talk about the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. But before we talk about Johnson, I just want to give kudos to Matt Gates, who may have changed the course of history by standing up and saying no. That's all it takes, just one person to stand up and say no. Gates was part of the eight Republicans that said, no, we're not going to continue this chaos. We're not going to drive the United States off the cliff. And look what's happened. Press out there, oh, we've got chaos. We've got no speaker. We've got all these problems in the world. But we've taken a short period of unknown and morphed it into Mike Johnson. And it's all because of what Matt Gates and the seven other Republican congressman did. So my kudos to Matt Gates. And it's really important about the worldview of the people we have in charge. Now more than ever. And I think Mike Johnson embodies the worldview that many of us have. Now, he's a little known congressman from Louisiana, son of a fireman, Christian, devout Christian. And we need somebody with that kind of worldview. And that worldview is God is a cornerstone of this country and the world needs a strong United States. So with that said, let's go to uh, first of two clips. First clip I'm going to play is from his first speech as the speaker. Second one too. But let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that scripture, the Bible is very clear that, that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. This is my belief. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it. And to ensure that our republic remains standing as the great beacon of light and hope and freedom in a world that desperately needs it. And the mainstream media is going apoplectic. He's a theocrat. He's going to take all of our rights away. He's a tool of Donald Trump. But here's what they're hiding. And this next clip is going to expose what they're hiding. These people in the mass media, these people in the far left, they believe that rights come from the government, 
while most Republicans, most of MAGA, believe that rights come from God. And that's in the Declaration of Independence. That's fundamental to this country. That's why the far left, the mass media, they're the danger. Because they want to be the God in our relationship to the government. Whereas we know God is bigger than the government. So let's go to this clip and then we'll come back and discuss. It was in 1962 that, that our national motto, In God We Trust, was adorned above this rostrum. And if you look at the little uh, guide that they give uh, tourists and constituents who come and, and, and visit the house, if you turn in there to about page 14 in the middle of that guide, it tells you the history of this. And it says very simply, these words were placed here above us. This motto was placed here as a rebuke of the Cold War era philosophy of the Soviet Union. That philosophy was Marxism and communism, which begins with the premise that there is no God. This is a critical distinction that is also articulated in our nation's birth certificate. We know the language well, the famous second paragraph that we used to have children memorize in school and, and they don't do that so often anymore, but they should. G.K. Chesterton was the famous British philosopher and statesman and he said one time, America is the only nation in the world that is founded upon a creed. And he said it's listed with almost theological lucidity in the Declaration of Independence. What is our creed? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, not born equal, created equal. And they are endowed by the, the same inalienable rights, with the same inalienable rights, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That is, the, that is the creed that has animated our nation since its founding, that has made us the great nation that we are. And we're in a time of extraordinary crisis right now. And the world needs us to be strong. They need us to remember our creed and our admonition. Now, in the immediate future, here are two key items that Johnson has to address. The first is the budget. Now, there's several bills that are still out there in the House that need to be passed. And he needs to get those bills passed ASAP. He can't lollygag like McCarthy did. And I think he's doing the right thing. From, from a report I got is that he had sent a memo out to members of Congress and said, no vacations until we get this budget passed. And this is versus McCarthy, who in August, I think, allowed Congress to go on big old vacation. Not addressing the budget. Now, the second thing he has to do, and he's kind of strapped for time right now, the budget that he presents or the budget that Congress adopts has to show some kind of significant savings. Now, I'm not sure if he's going to have enough time to do so because the clock is ticking, but he has to show at some point that he's going to reduce the size of this budget. And again, he's under the gun now. I'm not expecting a perfect budget from him, but I am expecting it to be finished sooner rather than later. Now, remember, after the House adopts their budget, that budget has to go over to the Senate, and they have to debate it. And isn't it funny, all these, um, all these uh, snipe attacks that the Senate, some senators were taking at the Republicans about not having a speaker? Do you know those budgets that the House did adopt? Because remember, there's, I, think there's a, uh, I think there's a dozen separate bills that make up the budget every year. And under McCarthy, under the gun, they had passed, uh, I think, three or four of them. But those three or four bills 
that comprised the budget were sent over to the Senate. And the Senate hasn't done anything on it. They've done nothing. So it's pretty disingenuous when they're pointing a finger at the Republicans when for not having a speaker. And they were doing nothing on the budgets that were sent to them. Now, the other thing he has to address to is uh, Ukraine. And Johnson has never voted for Ukraine spending. And as I mentioned in my last episode, uh, Biden put together this massive supplemental bill, over $100 billion. And he wanted to give $61 billion to Ukraine and then 14.3 to Israel and some other items too. But he wants them all lumped together because he wants it political. He wants to back everybody into the corner and say, you got to vote for this in a lump sum. But what Johnson has to do is peel off the Ukrainian portion of this bill that Biden wants passed and have people vote on it separately. If he's even going to bring it up for a vote. And that's going to be the second test for him. But we have to pray for this guy. And I'm telling you, this is a big undertaking. But you don't understand the lobbyists, the defense contractors, they're going to be bombarding him. They're going to be tempting him. Oh, we'll, we'll get your son a job. We'll set up a consulting co- uh, firm for you once you leave. Oh, you want to speak at this event? We'll pay you for it. But you have to vote our way. Not the way of the American people. And there's going to be a lot of temptation that's going to confront Johnson. So you, you have to pray for him. So we shall see. Now, I think there are over a dozen states that have mandated EVs. I think the earliest is 2030. So these states, which are governed by Democrats, have mandated that you're going to have to be driving an EV starting in 2030. And that includes California, New Jersey, other states. And they couldn't be more wrong. The average EV price is $60,000. So how is a couple with two kids, big mortgage, and say they need two cars for their family? How are they going to afford 120000 for EVs? Again, assuming that they need two cars. When they have a big mortgage to pay, they've got inflation, and there was really no hope for these people. Now, some of the automakers said that, oh, they planned on making affordable EVs for people. But listen to this. And this is from CNBC. Headline says, GM, Honda, scrap plans to co-develop affordable sub-$30,000 EVs. And it says here, General Motors and Honda Motor have canceled plans to jointly develop affordable electric vehicles as they face slower-than-expected demand on changing market conditions. The unwinding of the tie-up roughly a year and a half after it was announced is the latest in a string of decisions by automakers, specifically GM, to scale back or cancel previously announced EV plans. And this is the problem with these big government governors, these deep state governors. They want to dictate how you live, even if it flies in the face of common sense. So these poor people that are living in California, New Jersey, they see $60,000 EVs in their future, which they can't afford. And then at some point, you had GM, Honda Motors saying, well, we're going to create some affordable EVs. 
But now they just scrap their plants because EVs don't work on a big scale. It's a niche market. Now, Tesla does it well, but Teslas are expensive. Now, Elon Musk has come out and said at some point he's going to build a $25,000 EV. But who knows when that's coming? And EVs aren't necessarily bad. But again, it's just a niche market. Now, EVs to me, it's a nice second car if it's affordable. You can use your EV to scoot around and run errands during the weekend as long as you have a gas-powered car to take longer drives. But not according to these Democratic governors. We're going to tell you what you have to do. We're going to tell you how to live. And if we have to bankrupt you, we will. We don't care. Because we'll just put you on the dole. It's how out of touch these people are. They know nothing about business. They know nothing about the American people. They know nothing about the middle class. So we shall see. Now, GDP figures came out this week. And it came in at a healthy 4.9%. And that looks good on the headline. However, when you take a look at what's driving this expansion in the economy, it's all about the American consumer who is putting their spending on credit cards, debt, as well as inflation. And Biden and his people are out there saying, oh, this is the great thing. This is so good. And they're out of touch. They have absolutely no clue relating to the pain that the middle class is going through just to keep up with Biden's inflation. And it's okay. It's okay if you put max out your credit card in order just to eat. They don't understand that's not good. But part of me thinks about the American consumer. And are they taking a cue from the American government? And the amount of debt that the American government is taking on. So to them, well, if the government can do it, I'm going to do it. If it's good for the government, it's good for me. I'll just take on debt. Now, millennials, I hear, are the worst at taking on credit card debt. Now, I saw a figure. I think millennials have an average of uh, $6,500 of credit card debt. Are they taking a cue from the federal government? Or will they be looking for a bailout, just like they thought they were going to get a bailout for their student loans? But people love to talk about setting an example for your country. Well, you're setting a bad example, Washington, with these massive deficits that you're putting up. Yeah, but I digress. So the, the economy's growing only because of consumer spending. Now, spending consumer spending takes up maybe about 70% of our economy. And as long as consumers are spending and you've got inflation, it looks good. But not when you're putting it on credit card debt. Because at some point it stops. The banks say, no more. Here's your limit. You met your limit. And that's when everything collapses. Now, I think Goldman Sachs came out about a year ago and said that all of the stimulus money that the federal government has dished out to Americans are going to be spent by September 2023. And we just passed September 2023. So you have all this uh, stimulus money that, that's not there anymore for the American to spend. You've got student loans having to be paid back. And... At some point, they're going to max out their credit cards, and that's going to be sooner than later. So once the consumers stop spending, you won't see this kind of economic growth. But the Biden administration just doesn't get it. It's all about these figures, 
oh, the economy grew at this 4.9%. That's great. We don't understand why people are struggling. So again, with that said, I want to go to a clip. It's from Bloomberg, and they're interviewing Jared Bernstein. He's Biden's top economic advisor. And he's asked a question. He goes, well, if the economy's doing so well, why is are the, why are the polls saying that they favor Trump over Biden? And listen to his answer, and w- then we'll come back and discuss. We just ran a Bloomberg and Morning, Colts, Morning Consult, just ran a poll, and Trump is leading Biden in five of seven key swing states. And the biggest issue, and what voters say, is a deficit on the economy. Trump leads by a 14-point margin. And, Jared, I want to bring you this. His attempt at the president's brand to brand his economic platform as, quote, Bidenomics isn't working. Almost twice as many voters say Bidenomics is bad for the economy compared to those who say it's good. Independents view it even more negatively. Why is this not resonating with Americans? Ask people, and you've got the the means to do this, so do this poll. Ask people what they think, not about Bidenomics, but about the components of Bidenomics. Ask them what they think about standing up a domestic industry in, in, in clean energy, in electric vehicles, in electric batteries. Ask them what they think about replacing lead pipes with uh, safe pipes so kids can drink water without being poisoned. Ask them what they think about affordable internet broadband. Ask them what they think about standing up semiconductor industries in this country and the workplace training to make sure folks can get those good jobs. Well, let's take a look at it. Bernstein mentions EVs. I already talked about GM and Honda scrapping an idea of an affordable EV. And l- let me read you two other articles. It says here, Ford will postpone about $12 billion in EV investments as buyers become more cautious. Here's another article from uh, The Insider. Auto execs are coming clean. EVs aren't working. And here's your economic kingpin saying, oh, ignore inflation because we've got EVs. He doesn't realize EVs aren't working. All that money that the Biden administration is throwing out there to push EVs, it's not working. And your economic advisor doesn't realize this. Then he wants to virtue signal. Oh, ignore the inflation because we're putting money to replace lead pipes. Well, that should be done anyway. Shouldn't be part of an economic package. And let me tell you, all the lead pipes that are replaced under this economic package, if they actually did it, it's just a blip on the screen as far as economic growth. And then he talks about, oh, employee retraining. We know what retraining is. What that is a code word. We're taking somebody with a high-paying job and training him to get a low-paying job. That's what government retraining means. And then earlier than this, he was asked about inflation. And he essentially said, well, people got to get used to the higher inflation. Because eventually their their salaries are going to increase to the point where they can afford expensive bread, expensive eggs, expensive gas, expensive housing. That was his answer. He doesn't realize there are people out there, and most of the job growth that we had recently, all part-time jobs, people taking part-time jobs so they can afford to pay for these inflated prices, which apparently isn't enough. Because they're still putting money on their credit card just to eat. So we shall see. You know, in my last episode, I mentioned about the Biden administration being infiltrated by Hamas supporters. And and with that said, I want to play another clip. It's equally disturbing 
At a recent hearing, Senator Kennedy had asked a series of questions to some HHS executives, Homeland Security executives, and they were baffled. So let's go to this clip, and then we'll come back and discuss. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Morant, um, since President Biden's been president, uh, how many non-American citizens have come into our country illegally or on the basis of a claim of asylum? Thank you, Senator. Um, HSI as an investigative agency is... uh, Do you know the number? No, Senator. You're a senior member of Homeland Security, are you not? That's correct. Does anybody know the number? None of you know the number. Try 8 million. How many of those 8 million people are still here? Do any of you know? Okay. Um, how How many of those 8 million are claiming asylum? You don't know? How many of them claim asylum and don't show up for their hearing? Nobody knows? How many of them claim asylum, don't show up for the hearing, and President Biden has deported them? You don't know? And this went on and on. And how can executives from Homeland Security not know these numbers. This is the basis of performance. You need to know these kind of numbers to see if you're performing well. And this is the problem with the Democrats. It's not about competence. It's about an ideology. And what scares me, they're either incompetent or they just want open borders. And when you match this with an infiltration of people in the Biden administration that do not have the interests of the American people at heart, we got a real problem. Houston, we got a problem. And this is what worries me about what's going on in Israel. And pray for Israel. But remember what Barack Obama said, don't underestimate Joe's ability to screw things up. And when you look at the track record of his administration, that's what worries me more than anything. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.